Good morning, everyone. If you have your Bible, I'd like to invite you to open them to the book of Exodus chapter 19. Exodus 19. As we go through the Bible, so important to know all of God's word. Jesus said we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So if Jesus puts great emphasis upon God's word, how much more should we? And I think that that's always a good thing that you're going to know the heart of God. That's what God reveals through his word is what he's like. You know, today we have a lot of ideas that, well, all you really need is a new modern Bible. A modern Bible with only one page in it, and in that only one verse on the one page. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. You don't need the rest of the Bible. They don't teach the rest of the Bible. They teach motivational speaking, self-help courses, putting Jesus in your pocket, climbing to the top. But Jesus said we need to know God's word. Why is it? Because in God's word, it reveals to us who God is. Now today there's a lot of problems with that because a lot of people have a concept of God that they made up or formed by television or by some movie or something else. So we really don't know the God of the Bible if you leave the God of the Bible out of our teaching. So that's why it's important that we know what God says. First of all, it's impossible. The more you know about God, this is what's possible. The more you're going to know about yourself. That's good news. Friends, because that shows us who he is and who we are. Now, all the way through the Bible, you find that, who he is, who we are. Today is one of those days that we're going to see how important you and me are to the body of Christ. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word today, we ask you that your Holy Spirit will now come and speak to us in a just a mighty way, God, that we would know your heart. We would know who you are. We would know who we are in these days. And Lord, as we see many things going on around us that trouble so many people, that we would be rock steady in a world that doesn't know you. And so now as we spend this time, may your Holy Spirit speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been going through the book of Exodus. Now this is the coming out. This is where God dealt with Pharaoh, the plagues, the children of Israel who had been in the land of Goshen for over 400 years. Now are on their way to the promised land. And God begins to reveal to himself more and more who he is, his power, his majesty, his glory. Now as we look at chapter 19, it says, In the third month... After the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. Now, most of you that are Bible scholars, you know, this is where the Ten Commandments were given. And we're looking at the setup for this great command that comes from God. And that comes in the next chapter, chapter 20. And so three months since they left Egypt, 90 days... They've run through a lot of things. They ran out of water. Moses took care of that. All the different things that God had did. We find that God very clearly says that on that day, the 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 uh, three months after they came out, 
God now is dealing with them again, and they come to Sinai. Sinai is in that area of Midian, where many people believe, and I believe it's accurate what the Bible says, where Moses experienced the burning bush. And God spoke to him to go set the people free. Well, we find in verse 3 here, it says, well, verse 2, it says, For they had departed from Rephidim and come to the desert of Sinai, encamped in the wilderness, so Israel camped there before the mountain. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him, From the mountain saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. I like that. God says, I took you out of slavery to myself. Now, friends, this is why I believe it's important to know God's word. Because every one of us, we were taken from slavery, serving Satan, picture type in the Bible, Pharaoh, and he brought us to himself. We are saved for a reason. Yes, I know it's great that we have a place that God's prepared for us. John 14, 6 uh, says, if I go, I'll prepare a place for you. And... uh, in John 14, he says he's going to um, give us his place in my father's house or many mansions. I like that. That's good news. I mean, we got a place to look forward to. You know, I, you think about all the stuff going on. I, I suppose all of us know somebody that's had the COVID. And, and, and you think, well, are they going to die? Or are they going to live? All these different things. The good news is, if you're a Christian, hey, your life is in God's hands. And you can rest in that. Now... I died um, almost a year ago, and uh, but I'm back. No, I died, like somebody said one time, and it's so good to be here, and here, and here. No, I mean, a little, when you die, it's weird. I died for two minutes. I flatlined, you know, heard myself. I'm laying in the gurney uh, in, in the emergency room, and, uh, you know, they have all these little suction cups on you with wires, and you boop, boop. Boop, and I hear myself flatline. That's not good. I'm laying there. I hear, ooh, and everybody starts jumping around in the room. And I looked at my wife and I said, well, that's not good. And that was the last thing I said. I just, eh. and they paddled me and they brought me back. But here's the good news. If it's my time, your time to go, We know where we're going. And that is peace, friends, that passes all understanding. Now, I can tell you, I've been dead. It was not something I'll ever be scared of. Because when I died, it was just like, it just like you kind of, it wasn't like I fell asleep. It was just like you're, you're, you're different. And I'll tell you, my heart, my, my chest was killing me with the heart attack because I had a COVID, a COVID blood clot in my heart. And that shut my heart down. And the pain was killing me. But when I died, it didn't hurt anymore. I know it sounds weird, but it's true. It just didn't hurt anymore. I was still very much conscious of people around me. But the thing is, it wasn't something that I worried about. I want to just encourage all of you. If you're in Christ this morning, God brought you out of the serving Satan 
for his purpose. And as long as we have breath in our lungs, as long as we're alive to be about our daddy's business, that's the good news of the gospel. Not only am I saved from my sins, but I'm saved into a purpose for God. You know, he says here, and the first thing God does as he's talking to the children of Israel, he reminds them of what God had done for them in the past. Remember that. Think about what God has done for you in the past. How he got you through that narrow scrape that you didn't think you were going to get out of or whatever, or that that was going to come and hit you head on and it missed you. God is faithful. That's what's so important to always remember. Remember what God has done for you. Number two, as we look at this here, now therefore, if you indeed obey my voice, keep my covenant, Then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. That's what God says about you. That you're going to be a special treasure to God. You say, but Mike, that's speaking about the Jewish people. The Apostle Paul says, friends, we were grafted in. That's who you are to God. You're a special treasure to him. Now, why is that? Now, see, if you don't know the Bible, if you only know that you were saved, you would not understand how valuable you are to God. Because the Bible tells us that we represent God to this world. And God, again, there's two things a priest did. Represent God to the people and the people to God. That special treasure in which God deals with. That's what you mean to God. Now, again, remember that. Your treasure, you're valuable to God. You know, a lot of you this week, the devil's just been pounding on you saying you're no good and you're worthless and, and, and God doesn't want you and look at all the things you did wrong. I want to tell you, to God, you're a special person and a special treasure to him. Verse 6, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So God speaks to Moses privately. And he says, look, I want you to let the people know what I think of them. I love them. You're a special treasure. You're a kingdom of priests. That's why you're valuable to God. Because you represent God to a world that doesn't know him. You represent a true living God. Not a God that they have made up in their minds. What God they think is like. But what God is really like. That's what our job is. That's why we're still here. And until our purpose is done, until we're done, I believe God will leave you here. You can have heart attacks. You can fall down the stairs. I did that last week. (laughs) I must be in self-destructo mode or something. I don't know. I tumbled all the way down a stair, hit my chin on the thing, punched a hole through my... I was a wreck. But I look at this and I realize that until God is done with us, we're pretty much here. Friends, that's good. Now, some of us I know said, oh, I just am so tired of living. God, get me out of this zoo I call living. God says, I'm not done with you yet. I like that about God. God has made you and me a kingdom of priests to represent him in a world that doesn't know him. You were saved from the world. You were saved from serving Satan. And now you're serving God. That's who you are. Now, notice Moses 
gets this special command from God what to do. Verse 9, he says, so, excuse me, verse 7. So Moses called for the elders of the people and laid before them all these things which the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together saying, all the Lord has spoken, we will do. So Moses brought the, brought back the words to the people to the Lord. So here, not only did he bring the message from God, to the people, but now he brings the message from the people. All the Lord has said, we will do. So he goes back. And the Lord said to Moses, behold, I will come to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak to you and believe you forever. So Moses told the words to the, to the people, um, of the people to the Lord. So the Lord said to Moses, go to the people. Set them apart today, tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes. And let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. So he's saying, okay, Moses, I want you to introduce me to the people of Israel. So for two days, get ready. And on the third day, I'm going to make an appearance. Now, you got to think about this for a minute, friends. The reason why God is doing this is to first of all let everybody know in the camp of Israel that this isn't just a Moses show, but this is something God's doing. Because when we get to chapter 20, when the Ten Commandments are given, that people hear they know what God wants. In other words, this isn't just some Moses in the back room production. This is something that everybody will see, everybody will experience. Now, there are some things going on. Now, notice, I, I think it's kind of interesting. On the third day, you'll know who I am. That's what he was saying to, to Moses. You tell the people of Israel, get ready for the two days. And on the third day, I'm going to show you who I am. Isn't it amazing that after Jesus died on the third day, we got to see who Jesus really was? A risen, living Savior. You think about that for a minute. That's one of the things that makes Christianity different than all the other religions of the world. They all have dead leaders. But you serve a risen Savior. And so, he says... Go to the people, set them apart. Now again, that means sanctify, means to set apart, because God's going to do something really unique in the sight of all the people. And you shall set bounds, verse 12, uh, you shall set bounds for all the people around saying, take heed for yourselves that you do not come up to the mountain or touch it, Touches base, whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch him, but he shall be surely stoned or shot with an arrow. Whether man or beast, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds long, they shall come near the mountain. He shall not uh, touch the mountain. Now, real quick, just to look at this real funny. It's interesting that if they were to touch the mountain, when God was revealing himself, they were to be put to death. They weren't to be grabbed. They were to be shot. You couldn't even touch them. You'd defile yourself. So he says, if they do this, they're in violation. Now, what is so amazing, the law never really 
was meant to justify man. It was meant to show us how desperately we needed a savior. Mount Sinai alienated people. Mount Zion included people. You see, we have a new mountain that we go to, and that mountain is Christ. The Bible says, whosoever will may come. Jesus said, suffer the little children to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. God opens his hands, his doors, his life wide open to us. Why is that? Because even in all the things the law does, it does not get rid of the sin. It can maybe tell us not to sin, but it doesn't remove the sin. Only Jesus removes the sin. And that's why we can't approach a holy, righteous God in ourselves. That's why the Ten Commandments, that's why the law will never reconcile us to the Father, because the law says what we need to do. But it's interesting, if you study the book of Acts, halfway through the book of Acts, when all the Gentiles started getting saved, they came and they said, what laws are we going to put the Gentiles under since none of our fathers could keep the commandments? Isn't it weird that today we still have groups of people that believe you've got to get back under, observe dietary laws, worshiping on Saturday, all these things in some way to make them righteous. Friends, there is nothing externally we do to be righteous. Paul says there's no good thing dwells in the flesh. I, you cannot generate our own righteousness. By doing good deeds, charitable deeds, being a civitan, uh, helping uh, people across the street, whatever it might be, we do not generate our own righteousness. Now you say, well, why is that important? Because if it was possible to generate your own righteousness, how much righteousness do you need to generate in order to be good enough to be accepted by God? Think about it for a minute. And if you're not up to that level, that means you're rejected. So therefore, you never have what's called the assurance of salvation because your righteousness is generated by yourself, not a free gift of God that God gives you. See, I don't have to worry about being good enough because I never did the righteous things to make me righteous other than receive what God does. And and again, Paul says, we put on his righteousness. So you wrap a coat around you in the wintertime. You did not generate that righteousness. That's something God gave you. That's what makes you acceptable to God. And so therefore, I can have assurance of salvation because when someone asks you, hey, if you died today, why would you go to heaven? Well, because Jesus died on the cross for me and I've accepted what he's done. It isn't, well, you know, I've done the best I can. Well, when they react that way, or if you were to answer that way, if you died today, why would you get to go to heaven? Well, I've done the best I can. Your righteousness is being generated in yourself, not in Christ. That's really important. Because how good do you got to be to be good enough? Well, I don't know. And I hope when I get there, I figure it out. It's too late to find out. That's why the Bible says our assurance of salvation comes from him. Now, the only requirement in the Bible... You know, a lot of people say, well, it's not by works we're saved. Well, that's true. Not works in going door to door, selling flowers in airports and doing charitable deeds. But they came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, what work must we do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, this is the work you must do. Believe that the Father has sent me. Now, why is that important? Because... 
There, the Bible says, your faith becomes a work in that you've accepted what Christ has done for you. Our responsibility then as a Christian is to abide in him. We live in him. In him, uh, the book of uh, Acts says, Luke says, uh, we live, move, exist, and have our being like a fish in water. That's why it's important. We understand where our righteousness comes from. And again, this is why Jesus said, abide in me, I in you. A branch can bear fruit of itself, friends. So again, this is a divine work of God in our life. And this is why the Bible says, by their fruits, you will know them. Look at the fruit in their life. That's how you can tell a real believer versus a make-believer. There are a lot of make-believers out there. Oh, they know all the Christian jargon. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You know, but do they really know God? Well, you don't know unless you look at the fruit in their life. Now, I found a lot of things interesting about fruit. Fruit isn't always recognizable at first. You know, you go out in the spring of the year, if it's an apple tree, you have the flowers. And then pretty soon the flowers fall off and you have the little, the little baby apples that are on there. And pretty soon it isn't till maybe September that these apples come to full maturity so you know what they are. This is one of the things that is important. Now, a couple of things about fruit you always want to look at. Number one, does it exist? Can you look in your life and see what God has done? Now, remember, as we're studying this today, God tells Moses, remind the children of Israel what I have done for them. Okay, I think it's important. So look at the fruit in your life. Is there fruit in my life? If there isn't, I want to encourage you a couple things. One, you may be in that growth stage. You may be in May or uh, April. Those little baby apples are on the tree. Um, that's one thing. Number two, though, there should be fruit in your life. Now, it isn't always Thousands of people getting saved when you sneeze. But sometimes you see things in your life. You see a maturity in your life. I remember my mom when she got saved. My, I had an interesting, um, my parents were, were both raised in church, but the Second World War came along, you know, we might die tomorrow, do whatever you want to do. And they got away from the Lord and they, uh, got married after the Second World War and, uh, my sister got very sick with uh, kidney infection and the doctor came in and looked at my mom and said, well, if you know a prayer, you better say it. Well, my mom realized that she was so far from God, she really didn't know what to do. And what was really amazing, I remember a Sunday morning, my mom would send my sister and me to church, to Sunday school, but they themselves wouldn't come. And one Sunday uh, after the doctor told her that, they came to church the minister gave the invitation, accept the Lord. They both accept the Lord that Sunday morning. My dad smoked, drank, did, you know, and just lightning bolt. Whammo, he was a new creature. No more smoking, no more drinking, no more. It just God just did a miracle in his life. My mom, on the other hand, when she accepted the Lord, there wasn't a lightning bolt experience, but there was a gradual change in her life. I remember my mom t- saying to me, she said, you know, one of the most amazing things when I accepted Christ is I stopped using God in my cuss words. I thought that was pretty weird. 
In other words, she'd still say some four-letter profanities, but God wasn't in there anymore. But there was growth. And the thing is, there was that growth that happens. Everybody, when they get saved, have a, has oftentimes a different experience. And in fact, if you look at a cursory overview of the disciples of Jesus... You you find uh, Matthew Levi at the receipt of customs. Jesus comes up to him, gives him a four-hour sermon why he needs to follow him. And Matthew goes, well, I'll think about it. Let me tell my... No, nothing. Jesus walks up to him, looks at Matthew Levi and says, follow me. Matthew Levi, I could just see that he, he didn't care about his 401k. He didn't care about retirement. He just took his garment, laid it down and left. That's Matthew. But we look at the other disciples. We have James and John, sons of thunder, sons of Zebedee. Boy, I'll tell you, you look at them, they were still radical dudes, even serving Jesus. It's weird how God deals with us. But nevertheless, there should be fruit in your life where you see God in his deliverance in in your life moving you. Now, so that's the first thing. There should be fruit in your life. By their fruit, Jesus said, you will know them. We're not to be judges. In other words, I can't say, well, that person's a Christian. That one is, that one ain't, that one is. We're not to do that. Let God be the judge of that. I know there's a lot of super spiritual self-righteous bosons out there that think they can sit in the place of God and determine whether a person is a Christian or not. Friends, that is not your or my job. Our job is to praise Jesus, encourage the saints, And let God be the judge. But the Bible does say we can be fruit inspectors. Now, number two, you want to be sure the fruit is genuine. I remember years ago, I was just thinking about this this past week. But I remember my mom had this guy, he was uh, my uncle. He, He came and he was kind of goofy. And I remember that we had a a bowl of of fruit on on the kitchen table and it was wax fruit and i remember one day i went by and there in the in in this in this apple that was wax was teeth marks he picked it up and bit into it and i thought that's really weird that somebody wouldn't notice that but you know what is strange there is a lot of imitation fruit out there So we want to be careful of that. Is the fruit in your life genuine? Can you actually, as God is saying to the children of Israel through Moses, remember when I delivered you from Pharaoh? Is the fruit genuine? You want to look at that. That's real. The second thing you want to look, a third thing you want to look at, is the fruit stolen? Well, what? Stolen. That's right. Is the fruit really somebody else's ministry, somebody else's life that that person has taken and somehow laying claim that it's theirs? That's a real problem. This is something you find the um, it says that seven sons of Sceva were doing. They were vagabond extras. They were uh, uh, casting demons out of people. Now, they didn't have any power in themselves. And in fact, they said to this one demon-possessed man, we adjure you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul speaks of. The guy that was demon-possessed responds back in the book of Acts, and he says, Jesus we know, Paul we know, but who are you? 
And the Bible says this man jumped on these seven brothers, tore all their clothes off, and the last we find in Scripture, they're running naked. That's kind of a weird story. But the point is, stolen fruit doesn't work. So the first thing, does fruit exist? Number two, and I believe it's really important, is it real? Number three, make sure it's not stolen. And let God be God in your life. So the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I come to you in the cloud. That's how God's going to reveal himself. They were to get ready because in three days he was going to manifest himself to them. He warned them again, don't let anybody come near to the mountain. Because again, God is a holy God. And we're not. At least we're not until we come to Christ. Then you become his child. Verse 14, Then Moses went down from the mountain to the people, set the people apart, and they washed their clothes. By the way, isn't it weird that they were told to wash their clothes when they got ready to meet God? Does that bring any thoughts to anyone here? Isn't it funny? The Bible says that when we go to heaven, we get a a, a garment, white, And we get to wear it. We put away those old things and we get a new garment. Well, I think about that. We get new clothes when we get to heaven. You're going to be so good looking. You're going to be Gucci. No, actually, you're going to be heavenly. God's got something great for us. And he said to the people, be ready on the third day. Do not come near your wives. In other words, just sanctify yourself. Get prepared to go uh, meet God. And it came to pass on the third day, verse 16, in the morning there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain, and the sound of the trumpet was very loud so that the people who were in the camp trembled. By the way, it's interesting. You find that they were to wash their clothes God appears to them with the sound of a trumpet. Now, Paul, the apostle, says when the rapture comes, we're going to hear a trumpet blast and we're out of here. I can't wait. But until that happens, that's why we're all still here, to be salt and light. You'll see a lot of parallels here. And it says, now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in its fire, and the smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him by voice. This is weird, friends, to hear God's audible voice. Now, um, I've, I've told everybody here, if you're a Christian, you've heard God's voice. People say, oh, if I could just hear God's voice. If you're a Christian, you heard God's voice. When you heard the message of the gospel, that Jesus loved you, died on the cross for you, wants to take you from serving Pharaoh to serving himself, and there was a voice inside your head, inside your heart that said, this is for you, that was God. So you know that you've heard God's voice if you're born again, because otherwise you would have not answered that call. So here he says, God answered him by voice. And the Lord came down 
upon the Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, go down, warn the people lest they break through to gaze at the Lord and many of them will perish. Also let the priests who come near the Lord sanctify themselves lest the Lord break out against them. It's interesting in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, some of them evidently did this because God says he killed them. I guess maybe the priest thought, well, you know, we're priests and we're above the common people. We don't need to do that. And what God said. And so God said, don't let them uh, escape this, um, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you warned us, saying, set bounds around the mountain and sanctify it. And the Lord said to him, Away, get down and come up, you and Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. Why would he do that? Well, maybe some people out of curiosity going, Whoa, I want to go check this out. Maybe that. Maybe just out of rebellion. Just, just, I want to do it. God said, you know, I, that this whole thing about rebellion and the old sin nature, I find it in me all the time. I see, I'll go through a store door, it'll say push, I'll pull. Wet paint, don't touch, got to check it out. Why is that with us? Speed limit 55, you can go 57, they won't give you a ticket. Sound familiar? What is it about us that when there's a limit, we want to see if we can push the limit? I I, I don't know what that is. But that's part of the old sin nature, I guess. So he said, don't do this. Now, you got to remember something. They see the mountain. They see the quakings. They hear the, the trumpets blowing. All this stuff's going on. Do you realize with not even 40 days... When Moses is delayed up on the mountain, he comes down. They're dancing around a gold calf having an orgy. You think about it for a minute. You know, sometimes we see ourselves as being rebellious to God. Here God demonstrates who he is, shows them his, his they could hear his voice. They could see the mountain. They, God did this on purpose so the people would know this wasn't a Moses production. Oh yeah, Moses, you were off somewhere hiding out. No one really knew what you were doing. You come down the mountain. You say you got these rules we're supposed to follow called the Ten Commandments. Yeah, we don't think so. No, God says, no, I, I'm going to let everybody know who I am. There's going to be a mountain. There's going to be smoke. There's going to be fire. There's going to be all this stuff. And you'll know, everybody's going to know what I want from people. They're going to hear my voice. Okay, pretty impressive. People were scared to death. The trumpets were not coming from the camp. They were coming from the sky. And all this stuff is going on. And not even 40 days later, they're dancing around a golden calf having an orgy. Friends, you look at the rebellious nature, the whole heart of man. No wonder Jesus said in John 3, you must be born again. 
It's not within man to live righteously. If you've had that, you know, I've talked to people that say, well, I'd be a Christian, but I'm not going to be good enough. I'm afraid I'll fail. Let me tell you, you will. But let me tell you, it's not your will in you that's going to make the difference. It's God coming in you and changing the way you think about sin, strengthen you against sin, because the thing is, sin kills us. Do you realize sin does not do you, me, any good? Hey, man, but like, you know, like partying with my friends, you know, like it's really cool. I really like, you know, trying to get liver cancer and wrapping my car around a telephone pole. Man, that's fun. You think about what sin really does to us. It destroys you. It isn't that God's a cosmic killjoy. Well, you little people down there, I don't want you to have any fun at all. So I'm going to make these rules up to make sure you don't. No, that's not what God did. God knows something more about life, more about adverse living than we do. And it doesn't matter how much culture tries to say what God says isn't true, which is happening today in our society as it has in past societies, only for people who believe the lie from society to pay the price. Look at the broken lives that this does. When you look at the whole picture of how people try to get free from addictions and they go to these different things, they go to AA. And one of the things in AA, you have to admit there's a higher power. Now, the problem with AA I have is that the higher power can be a light bulb. That's a real problem because a light bulb is not going to help you. You need divine power from God to get free of addictions. But the problem is society doesn't offer that. Well, you just admit there's a higher power. It can be a light bulb, whatever you want it to be. And we'll get you off of alcohol. Now you're going to become a idiot. You're just going to sit around and play video games all day. Or you'll be some kind of other addictive personality disorder. But you won't be drinking anymore. That's the problem with us. We don't know what we want. We don't. You can try your best, but that old sin nature that is never satisfied says more, more, I gotta have more. And God comes along and says, no, what you need is me. Notice verse 24 again. It says, and the Lord said to him, away, get down, come up, that you and Aaron you and Aaron with you, and do not let the priests of the people break through and come up to the Lord, lest he breaks out against them. And so Moses went down to the people and spoke to them. You see, God has you and me as priests in a world. We represent God to the people and the people to God. Now, what does that mean? Well, God, this is where I believe Jesus was saying, pray for your enemies. Yeah, I'll pray for my name. God, kill him. You know, that's not what God wants us to do. He wants us to say, okay, Lord, I realize that if they were not functioning in sin, they could be my best friend. I realize if they weren't functioning in sin, they could be a they could be a powerful person for your kingdom. That's what being an intercessor does. So we represent God to the people and the people to God. We pray for lost 
people. We pray for those that God will open their eyes, that God would bind Satan from their eyes, that they would see what Jesus Christ offers them. Now, as all this is set up, the mountains there, full of smoke, shaking, quaking, trumpets blowing from the sky, then we find God spoke all these words saying, And he says, I'm the Lord your God. And then he gives his standard of what righteousness is. Friends, when I look at the Ten Commandments, I realize how far all of us in humanity has fallen. But yet I also realize that God, knowing that, provided Jesus Christ. The law was fulfilled in him. I put on his righteousness. You put on his righteousness. And this allows us to be what we are. It is interesting, if you remember in the Old Testament, for you that study the Bible, that the high priest would wear a linen ephod. They would wear a thing, and it had the 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And by the way, those 12 stones, again, to represent God to the people, the people to God. But they would put on this ephod. Why? Because the thing is, just we put on Christ in the same way. We represent God to the people, the people to God. We wear his righteousness. We wear his clothes. It's interesting, the Bible says that Jesus is coming for a church without spot or wrinkle, speaking of their garments. By the way, how do you get spots and wrinkles in your garment? Sloppy eating habits. And setting. You set on your garment, you're going to have wrinkles. If you have sloppy eating habits, you're going to have it all over you. I think that's one of the requirements for Italian dishes. You must wear it when you're done. Because I'll tell you that red spaghetti sauce gets all over everything, doesn't it? But that's what God's coming for. A church without spot or wrinkle. So, God, I want to be active. And I want to be digesting what you feed me. I don't want to be wearing it all over my face and all over my clothes. Representing God. See, remembering what God's done for you. How he's taken you from serving the devil and brought you into a place where your life is going to mean something forever. An eternal reward. Not a flash in the pan, not a pat on the back, but you're you're determining right now what position you're going to hold forever in eternity. Wow, how valuable is each day then? Being about our daddy's business, so important. Next week, when we look at the Ten Commandments, we're going to see why Jesus was so important in fulfilling the righteous requirements of the law And why he is our savior. That I see these things, and yeah, we might be able to, remember the rich young ruler, that that story always gets me. Rich young ruler comes to Jesus. He was rich, he was young, and he was a ruler. He had it all. Comes to Jesus, wanting to know about eternal life. Jesus said, sell what you have, give the money to the poor, come and follow me. He went away sad because he was really wealthy. You see, his hope was in what he had. Jesus looks at this guy and he says, there's only one thing you lack. Man, one thing you lack. If Jesus was to look at me, God, about five million things you lack. But looks at the rich young ruler, one thing you lack. 
So what you have, give the money to the poor, come and follow me. God didn't care about the money. He knew that's what the man's hope was lying in. Any other hope that we have in anything else other than Jesus will never meet the need. It'll let you down. This morning, we have communion. And again, this is why communion is so important because Jesus holds up the cup and he says, this is the cup that was my blood shed for you. New covenant. Why is that important? Because it isn't by the blood of bulls and goats that we're saved. It isn't by our works. It's what Jesus did for us. That blood, that covenant that was shed for us. The body of Christ, the bread, was so we can be healed. Friends, we need to be healed of a lot of things. Do you think about it this morning in your life? And if you're a Christian, you've been coming here even for a while, and there's something that really, really bothers you over and over again from your past, I want you today, as you hold that bread in your hand, I want you to think, God, I want you to heal me of that. I want you to separate me from those things of my past. So I'll be a better priest for you. I'll represent you better in a world that doesn't know you. And I can represent people. I won't be so self-focused. I'll, I'll start praying for people that, that are lost. You see, that's what makes the difference. See, and then God opens the doors to do those things in your life. If you're not a Christian here this morning, communion doesn't mean much. It's a ritual. But if you're a Christian, you realize it reminds us that we have a blood covenant with God, he died for our sins, and that we can be healed. It's not just a ritual anymore. In fact, Paul, addressing a church in Corinth, chapter 11, he says, when you just look at communion as a a ritual, he said, for this reason, many are sick and dead among you. You don't apply the medicinal use of it to your body. You need that. This morning, uh, if you've never received Christ, we're going to pray right now. We'll have communion, then we'll go eat some food, have a good time. But this morning, I just want, first of all, you to recognize, is there fruit in my life? If there isn't, you say, well, Lord, I want to sell out to you. I want, I want to really be about your business. And the Bible says that he will change your life. If you need to accept Christ this morning, if you don't want to serve Pharaoh anymore, you don't want to serve Satan anymore, you want your life to mean something today and throughout eternity, you pray this, God will change your life. In Jesus' name, let's pray. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I invite you into my life today. I ask you to make me the best I can be for you. And I repent of the foolish way that I have lived. I believe you died on the cross for me. And you rose from the dead to give me life every day. And so now I commit my life into your hands. Write my name in your book of life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. So I'll love you more and love people that are lost more. And thank you for writing my name in your book of life in Jesus' name. Amen.